All right. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask now as you go, we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Thank you again for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So Second Chronicles has been radical. If you've been coming, it's been heavy duty stuff and the Bible rocks and they can make an entire movie out of chapter 25, I promise you. But Chronicles, quick review, First Chronicles, and again, First and Second Chronicles were written as one book originally. And they were written to the children of Israel who'd been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon because of their disobedience and their idolatry. And God allowed them to be taken away captive. And now they're being set free to come back to Jerusalem. And this history book was written, most people believe by Ezra. And he gives them this history book so that when they come back to, to Jerusalem, when they come back home, they understand the history of what has taken place there. Many of them who are coming back have never been there. They're not coming back. They're coming for the first time. And so it's a great history lesson of what happened in Israel and in Judah. Now, as we know, in Chronicles, uh, the land of Israel was divided into two parts. The southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, made up Judah, and that's the main focal point of Chronicles. And then the northern kingdom is Israel, and that's uh, the 10 of the tribes are located there. Now, as we've talked about, looking at both in Kings and in Chronicles, every king in Israel during this time was evil, all of them. And so it's certainly leading up to them being taken away in Babylonian captivity, and we understand why. In Judah, we've seen some that have been good kings and some not so much. And if you were here last week, uh, I titled the message, It's Not How You Start, It's How You Finish. And we looked at a man, what was his name? Anybody remember? Wow. Joash, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad somebody. Now, people say, why do you repeat stuff? This is why. We looked at this last week for an hour, and everybody forgot his name. Okay. So Joash was, remember this story quickly. So this is so good. So remember that Joash was saved from death. Remember that Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, right? the most wicked king who ever lived in Israel, Ahab, they had a daughter named Athaliah. And sadly, the, the king had been a godly king. What was his name? What's Joash's dad's name? Anybody remember? What is it? Ahaziah. Ahaziah. Okay. Ahaziah was the son of, again, he was a godly king. And what he did though, one of the mistakes that was made was his father married him off to Athaliah because he wanted to join Israel together with Judah. But we know that Ahab was an evil and a wicked man. And so what happened was that once he died, the, the new king would have gone into his place. His first son was killed. And then what happened? His wife, Athaliah, killed all of her grandchildren and anybody else in the line to be the next king because she wanted to be queen. So if you remember, Jehoiada and his wife, Joshebed, hid the one-year-old grandson and hid him in the temple where, nobody, where she never found him because she was an idol worshiper to the prophet Baal, a false god who didn't exist. And she brought that into the land and they hid him for six years. 
In the beginning of last week's chapter, they, we saw that they brought him out and made him king at seven years old. And Athaliah was put to death. She was calling out treason. And Joash starts off well. And as he's growing up, he's doing really well until Jehoiada, who was his uncle and the priest, died. And once he died, he became an idolater, just like his grandmother. And we saw by the end of it, his life crashed and burned. Now, the thing about him was that was so significant, he was the last living uh, person in the line of David. And one of the reasons that Athaliah wanted all of her grandchildren dead because she knew that the Messiah had to come through the line of David. So it was about as wicked as it gets. So he, again, ends, doesn't end well. And, th- and this, tonight, we're going to look at his son. And I tiled the message. If you have your outline, grab it. Like father, like son. I've already given it away. Like father, like son. He's going to start well and crash and burn just like his dad. And the sad thing is that we are living examples of the people that watch us. And especially as parents and grandparents, that our kids learn more about what a godly person looks like or should by watching their parents than almost anything else. I've shared with you repeatedly, my dad was a pastor for 60 years, truly the most godly man I've ever met. Him and my mom had the most wonderful marriage I've ever seen. Not that they were perfect, but they were so Christ-centered and so generous and so loving. And they're the reason I hug everybody because they hugged everybody. And so I learned a lot just having a front row seat to this is what marriage is supposed to look like. This is what a dad's supposed to be. And I've tried to follow that pattern. And sadly, we're going to see that in tonight's text, he's going to start off really well. This young man by the name, what's his name? Look at chapter 25. Amaziah or Amaziah. So Amaziah is going to, is the new king. He is the son. So he's in the line of David. And we're going to see that he's already had another son, thankfully. And so he is going to be the new king. If you ever outline, grab it. So I tie the like father, like son. First of all, doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, at least from outward appearances. He's going to start off being solid. But we're going to see early on that his heart is not fully committed. That even though he's serving God on the outside, we see from the Lord that on the inside, he's not fully committed to God. And as believers, we need to be fully committed to God. Amen? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. It says in the Gospel of Mark. You know what the key word to that is? It's not heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know what it is? It's all. The key word to that verse is with all your mind, with all your heart, with all all your soul, with all your strength. Guys, it's giving our all to the Lord. We don't just give him some. We don't just surrender some. We surrender all. Amen? Secondly, using worldly wisdom contrary to God's word. So he starts off really well, and then he needs to build up an army to go into battle. And he uses worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And it's very easy for us as believers to rest in what the world has to say instead of trusting in what God has to say. Do you know that God is smarter than everybody under in, in, in every form of life, in every walk of life? Amen? That God is smarter than anybody. We're all idiots compared to God. He's the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, and we should be leaning on him. And what he does in building his army, we're going to see that he's going to hire some mercenaries 
who, and he's going to hire the ungodly to come fight on the side of the godly. And guys, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Amen? Number three, obeying godly counsel. You know, whatever obedience costs, it's always, ultimate cheap, always ultimately cheaper than disobedience. Sometimes obeying God comes at a price. Amen? You could lose your job. You could lose some friends. It could cost you something. In a lot of places in, our, in this world, you could lose your life. Or you could be thrown into prison. But guys, being obedient to God is always worth it. Amen? And again, it's not, doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. And we're going to see that for a moment, he's going to obey God. For a moment, he's going to be willing to lose out to obey God. But sadly, it's not going to last. Point number four, pride goes before destruction. So here's something I want to exhort all of you. If you forget everything else I talked to you about tonight, here's what I want you to remember. All of us can fall into the trap of when God has used us to stop being desperate for God. And it happens all day. And what I mean by that is where God may use you, God may gift you, and then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you might think you have something to do with it. When in reality, God alone gets all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. We're just tools in the hands of the master. Without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And we're going to see tonight, he's going to win a battle, then he's going to think it's him. Well, I won a battle. I don't need God anymore. And when he wins the battle, he's going to turn his back on the true and living God and go start worshiping idols, just like his father did. Number five, seeking to do things in your own strength. So once he's won a battle, he's going to think, well, I'm an amazing king. I'm an amazing general. Boy, children of, of Judah are blessed to have me. And you know, we can all fall into that trap, and we may not say it out loud because most of us as believers tend to stay pretty humble, but we can fall into the trap of becoming like the world and thinking that we're something special. There's very few things that nauseate me more than watching either a Christian band or a Christian teacher or a pastor at a church, and you can just tell their arrogance is oozing out of them and it's nauseating. Can I get an amen to that? When it takes five minutes to introduce you because they have to tell all the wonderful things that you've done, it makes me sick to my stomach. Every time I teach at a conference, they want me to send some long biography, and I just write, Sinners Saved by Grace, and I just mail it in. That's it. Because that's all that we are. Can I get an amen to that? Oh, you know, I've done this, I've done that. And God blessed to have me on his side. No, I don't. He doesn't need me. I need him. Can I get an amen to that? Number six, our simple choices hurt more than just us. When you choose to sin, when you succumb to temptation, the choice that you make is not only going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt others. Those that depend on you, those that are looking at you as an example, it's tonight's case. We're going to see the king in doing so is going to wreak havoc on Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed because of his disobedience. 600 feet of the wall is going to be taken down. The stuff's going to be stolen out of the temple, out of the house of the Lord, because this man was so full of himself, and because he chose a sinful path, and the consequences impacted the entire nation. And then finally, the way of the transgressor is hard. We're going to see how it ends up for, again, this son of Joash. So let's begin there looking at doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and let's begin there in verse 1. So Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. 
So Joash had started well, but it's how we finish that matters. And he had walked away from the Lord and began practicing idolatry. Again, he killed uh, the Holy Spirit-filled son of the man who had saved and raised him. Remember that when he started worshiping idols, the man that raised him, the godly man that raised him had died. He starts worshiping idols. Then his son, Zechariah, not that Zechariah, but another Zechariah, comes to him and says, you're worshiping idols and you need to get right with God. And what does he do? He has him killed. And no doubt he grew up with him because he was a one-year-old baby living in the temple. And his dad, Zachariah's dad was raising him. So no doubt they were like brothers growing up together. And his dad was the one that rescued him. His mom was the one that rescued him. They were the ones that raised him. They were the ones that taught him the truth. And as soon as he dies, he becomes an idolater. And when his, you know, his brother, in a sense, comes and says, what are you doing, bro? Joash, you need to get right with the Lord. And he kills him. And so we see the sadness of what can take place when people get far from God. He asked him, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he will also forsake you. And Joash didn't like the message, so rather than repent, he killed the messenger. We're going to see his son do exactly the same thing. So Amaziah, his name means Jehovah is mighty. So he starts off with a great name. And his mom's name is Jehovah Delights. And so Amaziah had witnessed firsthand the reign of his father, who reigned for 40 years. He saw him doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, setting his heart to repair the house of the Lord, working side by side by, with, with the priest Jehoiada, who saved his life and raised him, making sacrifices to the Lord night and day. But after Jehoiada died, he saw what his dad did. His dad turned his back on God. His dad started worshiping idols. And we, he saw the sad and tragic end to his life. So having witnessed both him honoring God and dishonoring God, how is Amaziah going to start out? Well, we see there it says in verse 2, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. You know, whenever you see the word but in a sentence, it kind of wipes out everything before it. You ever notice that? Like, he's this, and he's great, and he's wonderful, and he's this, but... And whatever comes after that, that's really the deal, right? So it says, he, it says here that, again, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. It would be great if there was a period there, but there's not. So in the beginning, he did what was right. Amaziah, the son of the great reformer Joash, continued with the godly reign, began by his father. He made a good beginning, adhering to the law, happy would have been uh, for him and for his kingdom. He had continued that way forever, but he didn't. He begins well, but as we said last week, it's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. Amen? Anybody can be on fire for the Lord for a minute. Parable of the sower, right? You know, sometimes it looks good until till the weeds come along or till the rain hits or until the birds come, right? And so something happens and, and we're going to see, sadly, his father did not stay loyal to the end. It says, but not with a loyal heart. And so the comparison for all the kings, who was the greatest king that Israel ever had? Who was it? King David. King David. He's the example. And what's amazing about that is, king, was King David perfect? Murderer and adulterer. 
And he's the best king they got. That says something, doesn't it? But the reality is, but he was a man after God's own heart. And the difference between David and King Saul, you could argue that David's sins were almost as bad as Saul's in some ways. But it says of Saul that, you know, God regretted making him king. And, and David is a man for God's own heart. You know what the difference is? David repented, Saul didn't. Saul only kind of tried to repent when the kingdom was ripped away from him. And so here we have, again, somebody, it says he's not loyal in his heart. And again, the greatest commandment, according to Jesus, uh, one of the, you know, the Pharisees came to him and said, what's the greatest of the commandments of the 613 laws? And Jesus says this, it's in many gospels, but here's Mark. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And again, the key word here is all. It's all. Give him all. So first of all, your emotions, your heart. Love God with all your emotions. When you're emotional about the things of God, surrender to God. It's emotional about the things of the world. With all your soul, that's your innermost being. It's who you are on the inside. It's the part of us that's going to survive this life. Amen? That Holy Spirit-filled soul that's in here is the part that will go to heaven, not our bodies. With all of our mind, that's our thoughts. Are you honoring God with your thought life? With all of your thought life, what do you allow your... Because guys... A lot of our sin, if not most of our sin, comes through our thought life. Can I get an amen to that? You know, it's, that's why he tells us, well, well, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you've, right, if you've had hatred in your heart, you're a murderer. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. I tell you, if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery, right? And so it's not just our heart, our emotions, and our innermost being, our soul, but also our mind, and then finally, our strength. You know, we should use these bodies that God has given us and all the strength that we have for the Lord and for his glory. So love God with all you have. Love him completely, fully, holding nothing back above everything else. That word love there in the Greek, I'll give you one guess. What do you think it is? It's agape. Agape is selfless. Esteeming others greater than yourself. It's unconditional. And it's a love by choice. So the greatest commandment is to love God with all we have with every part of our being, above all else, no matter what life may bring our way. You know, a half-hearted love, a lukewarm love, like he has here, won't last. If you're divided between the Lord and the world, you're going to end up in the world. Bad company corrupts good morals, amen? If you're, if you're divided between the world, if you're divided between your career and the Lord, if you're divided between a relationship and the Lord... I've had two conversations this week of people who are unequally yoked trying to convince me that it's okay. No. Amen? No, it's not. But he's really nice. I don't care how nice he is. He's spiritually dead. You're dating a dead guy. You're dating a corpse. You need to get rid of the dude. Let him go. Pray for his salvation. You're not the one to witness to him. Send him to my house. I'm happy to talk to him. Run away from that guy. In Jesus' name. Amen? Why? Because God has someone for you who loves Jesus. And don't settle for less than God's highest. Amen? But the world is always making excuses. By the way, you won't, date, you won't get married to, an un, to being unequally yoked if you don't spend time even contemplating dating unbelievers. It's not dating anyway. It's courtship to marriage. Amen? And, and the most important decision you're going to make outside of giving your life to Jesus is who you spend the rest of your life with. Amen? But that half-hearted love, that divided love, 
when, when you're divided between your job and the Lord. Now, we all need to have jobs, and you know, guys all know I worked for the same company for 35 years, and that was my mission field, and I loved working there because that was the place that I knew God was using me. And God wants to use you there. You should be the best worker in the building. Be there on time. Work hard all day. Give a full day's work for a full day's pay. Amen? That being said, you don't love your job more than Jesus or as anywhere near as much as Jesus. Amen? The same is true of a relationship. Relationships will drag people away from the Lord. People will lie about their faith just to be in a relationship with someone that does love the Lord. We're to love God again, but above all else. I love God above all else. And again, often things you love other than the Lord will win out if you are not careful. It says in 2 Kings, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father, he did according to all the things as Joash, his father, did. So in 2 Kings 14, we have a companion text for what we're looking at tonight. He's got some of the same context. And this is a verse saying that he loved God, but not like David did, more like his dad did. And we know how that worked out, don't we? His dad was a divided man. Again, David was a man for God's own heart. Joash, in the end, a wicked idol worshiper who killed the prophet of God rather than repent. Verse three, now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. Now in this case, this is actually justifiable. His dad was the king and these guys came and murdered him because they didn't want him to be king anymore, even though he was an ungodly king and it was kind of warranted. If you're the new king, you probably don't want guys hanging out who think killing the king's a good idea. So he has them put to death. Then it says in verse four, however, he did not execute their children, but did that as is written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded saying, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Amen, amen, and amen to that. Amen. By the way, that's a great verse to wipe out abortion. Can I get an amen to that? People will come and say, what if it was rape? What if it was rape? You're going to make that, that woman, would I make my daughter carry a baby to term if she was raped? The answer is yes. Because you don't kill the baby for the sins of the father. Amen? I'm not saying it would be easy and I'm not taking it lightly, but killing babies is never the answer. Amen? And that's one of the reasons we support Ohana. But notice that he actually did not kill the children. And now, by the way, if you guys, I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone yet, uh, my wife and I went yesterday to the Reagan Library to, watch, to look at the Auschwitz thing, and it's got 50 stations, and you can listen, and it is pretty powerful. And one of the stations talks about the fact that Hitler and all those that followed him wanted to kill all the children because they knew if they didn't, when the children got older, they would come and seek vengeance after them. And that's what most of the kings did when they killed a king, when they killed a rival or they killed a king, what they would do is they would kill all the children because they were afraid, you know, 15 years later, a 12 year old's 27 and he might be showing up, you know, at the temple with a sword in his hand. And so what they would do is wipe them out. We know that's not God's plan. And so here we have Amaziah. He's starting off, even though he's not fully loyal to God, at least right here, he's honoring what the word of God says. And praise God for that. He's starting well. 
And guys, starting well is good, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish that really, really matters. So again, early here in his reign, Amaziah is honoring the Lord and his word. Point number two, using worldly wisdom contrary to God's word. Now watch in verse five. Moreover, Amaziah gathered... Judah together and sent over them captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. He numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle the spear and shield. Now this makes sense. You're the new king. You got you to gotta build up a military. So he's building up a military, finds out he has 300,000 soldiers over the age of 20. Now, that's a good number of people, but Jeroboam had 800,000 when he was king. And there were other kings that had a lot greater numbers. Now, can God, ask Gideon, can God win with just a few folks? What's the answer? Right? God doesn't need numbers. You plus God is a majority. But at the same time as a king, there's wisdom and building up. Again, you trust God, but you also need to be faithful, right? You don't just sit back and say, let God do it. Again, God could do it, but he chooses to use us. Amen? And so he's building up this army, and at first you can tell that, you know, he's got 300,000 men, that's a good number, but he also knows that that's not as many as maybe some of his enemies will have. Look at verse 6. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100,000 talents of silver. Now Israel, how's Israel doing right about then? No bueno. Israel is worshiping idols. Israel is walking in open rebellion against God. So he hires these guys from Israel, 100,000 of them, to come and join their army as they get ready to go out and fight. They're going to be fighting the Edomites. So the Edomites are, again, going to be the enemy they're going to go and face. And he's trying to get build up his army. And so what, do he, what does he do? He pays for these mercenaries from Israel, where they were in rebellion against God, to come and join them. So what he's doing is he's being unequally yoked. He's bringing in ungodly soldiers who are worshiping false gods, specifically Baal, and he's going to have them come, and they're only coming because they're getting paid. They have no investment in the war other than they're going to get paid. And this is a small amount, believe it or not, because it's spread out over 100,000 guys. So really what they're most excited about is the spoils that come from war. So they're going to get paid a certain amount each, but where they really make it is when you wipe out the enemy, you can take all the spoils of war, all the stuff in their houses, their tents, all the stuff that belongs to them, all their armor, all of it. And so these guys are coming to fight in this battle, and they've been hired again by the king. Now it's interesting, notice it says there in verse 7, but a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. When you see the children of Ephraim in the Old Testament, it's speaking of Israel because Ephraim is the, the most populated tribe in Israel. So sometimes they'll just call them Ephraim when they're, when they're talking about Israel. And so he's saying, you're not to be aligned with these guys. So he's hiring people that God can't and won't bless. Fellowship or rebellion, choose one. Amen? 
So if you're in open rebellion against God, you're not walking in fellowship with God. And if you're in fellowship with God, you don't want to be linked to someone who's in rebellion against God. Amen? We're either friends of God or enemies of God. Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And so we see here that right after he does it, this man comes to him. There's no name. And he just says, he's, he's a prophet of God, a man of God. And he tells the king, don't let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. It's just like me talking to these guys on the phone this week. No, don't date him. No, I don't, he's really nice. I don't care. Why did you call me? This is the answer you're going to get from me. If you want to get a different answer, call somebody else. Can I get an amen to that? I'm happy to do counseling with you guys. I'm happy to talk to him about the Lord. But when, by the way, if you can't just send him over to my house by himself, he's the wrong guy. Amen? If you got to prop him up, let me tell you all about him. Well, he, he prayed a prayer at VBS 12 years ago, but he doesn't really, hasn't been to church since. But, you know, and you try to pick, you know, right? You try to give me the, the resume of why he's godly. If he's godly, just send him to my house. We'll have lunch and 15 minutes in, I'll know where he's at. Can I get amen to that? And, and other believers know that, don't you? When you meet someone that loves Jesus, it's like, hey, the other day I ran into this guy. We're talking for 30 seconds. And I'm like, dude, love you, man. He's like, I love you too. Because we got Jesus in common, right? Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And these guys don't have the Holy... Again, this is prior to the pouring out of the Spirit on believers, but in the Old Testament, they're not aligned with the Lord. They're worshiping false idols. They're in open rebellion against God. But he wants a bigger army. So he's willing to compromise. And sometimes a woman just says, well, I just want to be married. I don't want to be alone. You know what's better? What's worse than being alone? Being married to an unbeliever. Amen? Now, if you are married to an unbeliever, stay and pray. Once you're in, you're in, stay, pray, continue to be a Christ-like example to your spouse. But if you're not married, do not marry an unbeliever. So Amaziah has unequally yoked himself with the wicked and we're to come out from among them, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I would rather fight with one other believer than a million people who are uh, living lives contrary to God, don't know the Lord, and are spiritually dead. Amen? You plus God is a majority. And again, we saw it with Gideon. Got the army so small that God had to get the glory. Nobody could say, oh, we're just bad dudes, man. We're rough. No, you, dude, you were so outnumbered. That had to be God. Amen? Now watch what it says there in verse 8. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God will make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help or overthrow. Here's what he says. If you want to go with those guys, go right ahead. And guess what? You're going to lose. Because God can help you or he can overthrow you. If you're for him and walking with him, he'll bless you. If you're walking in direct disobedience to him, he can overthrow you. So he lets him know, if you take those guys with you, it's going to end in defeat. Now, he could just say, I don't care. But at least at this point, Amaziah is going to listen. And he's going to say, okay, all right. Man, I like having 100,000 more guys. Even though it made military sense for Amaziah to hire and use these troops according to the word of God, it made no spiritual sense. This is because God has the power to help and to overthrow, and to fight with God is to receive his help, and to fight against him, and God will overthrow you. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and man's ways are not our ways. 
Guys, we obey God even when it may not make sense from a physical perspective. Now watch what he does here in verse 9. Point number three, obeying godly counsel. Like father, like son, obeying godly counsel. Look at verse 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents who I've given to the troops of Israel? He's already asking, so what's it going to cost me to obey God? Amen. Amen. Can it cost you something to obey God? What's the answer? Absolutely. A man is no fool. He gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You might make more money if you get the raise at work and you move to another city, but it might take you away from the place where God's using you. Make sure that you're in the center of God's will. There's nothing better than being where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to be doing. Amen? There's such joy and peace in that. And I, I believe me, I have that peace in my heart, and I'm blessed by it. So how much is it going to cost me to obey? And then he says there in the second half of verse 9, and he said, And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Guys, whatever you give up for the Lord is nothing compared to what God can give you. Matter of fact, compared to what God already gave you. Amen? Is there anything we could possibly do to return to the Lord for what he has already done for us if he never does anything else ever again? He sent his son to suffer and die on the cross so we might have eternal life. He forgave me, redeemed me, adopted me. I'm his son. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. He gave me a down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit that seals me and tells me that I have the promise of eternal life. Guys, is there anything that compares to that? Guys, that's who we are in the Lord. And when he says, well, what about the 100,000? Whatever. Let it go. Well, the 100,000 talents, it's a lot more than $100,000. This would have been millions, okay? Tons of silver. In today's, I don't even know what the number would be in today's money. But the Lord is able to give you so much more than this. Whatever obedience costs, it's always ultimately cheaper than disobedience. Our Father has a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. Does God ever sweat money? What's the answer? He never worries about it. That's my heart here. That's why we don't even pass a bucket, right? And we saw the first ever agape box in the last chapter, right? Didn't we? In, chapter, in verse 8. They just put a box out, and whoever wanted to give, they gave. You, God loves a cheerful giver, and where God guides, God provides. And you don't have to, if you have to twist somebody's arm, and I've told you this, when I hear on the radio, if we don't get this much money by Thursday, we're going off the air, I always say, go off the air then. Because we shouldn't have to beg. Can I get amen to that? Amen. God will provide, and he does provide, amen? And so he's telling them, look, 100,000 shekels to God, it's nothing. He just let it go. I've already invested the money. Whatever obedience costs, it's always ultimately cheaper than disobedience. And money must never be more important than obedience. Obedience is the highest form of worship. We should always weigh the temporal against the eternal. My son Mark, who's now in heaven, he bought a truck for his business. He had one truck for like five years. And then he brought a newer truck. It wasn't a brand new truck, but he bought a newer truck because that truck died. He had it four days and the engine went out. And he had just spent a lot of money on this truck. And I was sitting in the living room with my son, and I was like, son, it won't matter in heaven. And he's like, yeah, dad, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. God will provide. My son's in heaven now. You think he's worried about that truck? Amen? See, we need to have an eternal perspective. It's all going to burn. It's not going to matter. 
A man is, not, is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now look what happens in verse 10. So, so Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim, from Israel, to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Sometimes when you make a stand for God, people are not going to be happy with you. He hired them. They got their original payment, right? Just to, but they, what they really wanted was the spoils of war. And then he comes in after he's hired them and said, yeah, I changed my mind. Go on home. And they're not happy. And sometimes when you make a stand for God, when you stand for the truth, when you recognize that I'm being unequally yoked and this doesn't work and I can't do this, and you choose to honor God, there's oftentimes when the world's going to be mad at you. And guys, when we make a stand for the Lord, let's be loving, let's be kind, let's be gracious, let's be merciful, but let's be bold. And let's recognize that sometimes when you speak the truth, even when you do it in love, people are going to get angry. Amen? But you know what? I loved it. I love this saying that when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, which one barks the loudest? You one you hit. And you know what? When you're proclaiming the truth, the one who's the most angry is usually the one who's most convicted. Amen. Now, in this case, he's sending them home. They're angry. We're going to see this come back in this chapter. Their anger is not going away. They're going to come back in just a few verses to seek vengeance because they did not get the spoils. Again, so they lost the wages from the plunder, again, rejected by God, and the world doesn't like it or understand when we choose to do things God's way. Guys, we must not compromise God's word nor be afraid to speak the truth in love. Again, unequally yoked couples want to get married, meet with them. Again, tell them that they are disobeying God's word. And again, so you're saying that I'm not good enough for her? That's what one of the guys said this week. So I'm not good enough for her? I said, no, you're not what? I'm not good enough for her. No, you're not, bro. You're not. You don't know Jesus. You're not good enough for her. There's none righteous, no, not one. But in this case, you're not good enough for her. He didn't like that. Get over it, pal. You're not good enough for her. She has Jesus. You don't. Well, what if I become a Christian? Go get saved, serve him for a couple years, and then come back and talk to me. Because guys will, guys will become anything a pretty woman wants for a minute and a half until they walk down the aisle and all of a sudden, yeah, never mind. I'll be a Mormon, sure. I'll be whatever you want me to be, right? I've met those guys. I've done a lot of premarriage counseling. I know better. So Amaziah strengthened himself, leading his people. Now watch what happens here. So he discharged them, verse 11, and he strengthened himself, leading his people. He went into the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Seir is the Edomites. Uh, Seir is the largest mountain in Edom, so sometimes they're referred to as the people of Seir. So he fights the Edomites. We know that they're people of the flesh, right, because of who they're related. Who are the, who are the Edomites related to? Esau. And so they know he's the son of the flesh, right? Isaac, the son of promise. Jacob, the son of promise, right? So he's an enemy. They're of the flesh. And again, they lose the battle he kills 10,000. Now watch this. And this is one of those verses that when you read it, you're like, really? Was this okay with God? Look at verse 12. All the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive. They brought them to the top of a rock and cast them down the top of the rock and they were dashed into pieces. Now, when you read verses like that in the Bible, people go, wow, that's kind of heavy. But I'll tell you what else is heavy. 
mocking God. I'll tell you what else is heavy, blaspheming his name. I'll tell you what else is heavy, worshiping false idols. Now again, whether this was, it doesn't give us any more information as to why they do this. It doesn't say they cast them off the cliffs because they slaughtered baby. It doesn't say that. We don't know why they did it. It could have been a response to something really harsh. It could have just been that this is what God wanted them to do. We don't know. I don't like to speak into silence, but I also know that God, there's times in the Bible, God opens up the ground and swallows people. Uh, how, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? What did God do there? Brought fire down from heaven. Wipe that place out. Amen? I told you this on Sunday that somebody sent me this video and this guy's blaspheming the Lord and he's wearing this, you know, alphabet, you know, schmock. And he's talking about all this nonsense and he's calling mother God and he's saying the Bible's not accurate and all this kind of stuff. And then there's a video not long after that, lightning hits the, the church and a 120-year-old building burns to the ground. And I'm like, thank you, Je- go Jesus. Amen? Can I get an amen to that? That thing needs to burn to the ground. When you're mocked, God will not be mocked. Amen? And so I don't know why it was done this way, but I also know that God's a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. Amen? Have you been here for Revelation? Have you been here? If you've been here, has it been some heavy-duty stuff? Moses and Elijah, who I think, I think that's who the two witnesses are, God knows, they breathe fire on people. It's in the Bible, right? A third of the world's population dies in a single day. It's in the Bible. Guys, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? And we can't, we should, so I, again, we see that they did this. They throw them off the cliffs. Again, prophets of Baal. Remember when Elijah called fire down from the sky? They tried to. They were wounding themselves, and he starts mocking them. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom, right? Right? He mocks them. And then what do they do after God brings fire down, proving himself to be God? By the way, if you go to Israel, we're going to be on Mount Carmel. We're going to stand right where that happened, and we're going to teach it. Amen? But what happens to the prophets of Baal after the fire comes down, uh, you know, on where Elijah prayed for, they're all slaughtered. Why? Because what are they doing? They're drawing people away from God. God hates it when people take children and draws them away or takes people and draws them away from the true and living God. You know, it's going to be heavy judgment for those who are teaching people a lie and drawing them away from the Lord. God hates it. So we see here, he casts them down from the top of the rock and they're broken into pieces. If you struggle with that, you're going to struggle a lot more with hell. Amen? Is hell a real place? What's the answer? Do you know that everybody will live forever? It's just a matter of where. Amen? And we don't want to see any, every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every other believer this side of hell. Point number four, pride goes before destruction. So he wins the battle, defeats the Edomites, doesn't have the other extra 100,000 guys. He honors the Lord. God gives him the victory. So now he's just going to like go and offer sacrifices and worship God, right? You would hope. Look what happens in verse 14. Now what it was after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir and set them up to be his God, gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. All I can say to this, this is a stupid moment. 
Who defeats their enemy in battle with the true and living God on their side and then brings their wooden idols home and bows down and worships the idols of the people you just destroyed following the true and living God? It doesn't get any dumber than this. This is just plain stupid. I don't, you know, when the Bible says don't say the word raka, right? Stupid. But this is stupid. This is, this is Raqqa right here. How, how in the world do you go out and win a battle with God on your side and then take the gods of the people that lost and start worshiping them? Does any of this make any sense? It's unbelievable. You just want to reach to your Bible and shake Amazon? Dude, what are you doing? Really, bro? Have you paid attention? Like father, like son, though. He's following in the example of his dad. Just because you do what's right doesn't mean there won't be tough times and what's going to take place now in the next verse here. Oh, I skipped over verse 13. God, you should have caught me. Someone throw a rock at me if I skip over a verse. Look at verse 13. It says there, but as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged, so they w- would not go with them to battle. They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and killed 3,000 in them and took the spoil. So I'm backtracking before we get to the aligning with the false gods. What happened is these guys who were headed back to Israel, when they were like, they've no doubt 100,000 guys talking amongst themselves, dude, we got ripped off, came all the way down here. I mean, we got like a meal allowance, 100,000 shekels. We were supposed to get the spoils of war. Hey, there's an Israel, part of Israel's right over here. Let's just go over here and slaughter the people in this village and take all their stuff. And that's what they did. So they, he obeyed God by sending them home, and yet there were still consequences. And sometimes when we obey God, we're going to have to face some stuff from the world that doesn't like it. Amen? Were people going after Christians over the COVID thing? Home Depot can be open. The pot club can be open. The grocery store can be open. You can have riots in the street standing within three inches of each other, but churches can't be open wearing masks six feet apart. That, that's why we had church anyway. Can I get an amen to that? It's nauseating. But if you stand for the Lord, we lost our building because we kept having church. We were meeting in a synagogue in Calabasas, and we got a call. Hey, you guys can't meet there anymore because you keep having church. And the landlord was scared half to death. And look what God did. He just brought us to a Christian school instead. So praise the Lord. Amen? God knows what he's doing. But notice here that there, when we stand for the Lord, it doesn't mean that there won't be blowback from the world. Amen? Sometimes you're going to stand for the Lord, and you're going to face it. Now, we go back to verse 14. So again, he sets up these idols. He bowed down and worships a block of wood. You have the King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God on your side. You just whip them in a battle, and now you bring the dead guy's box, you know, wooden images back, and you set them up and get on your knees and worship them. This is just brain dead. I don't understand this at all. This really is a foolish, foolish moment. Amaziah is following in his father's footsteps. He started well. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He heeded godly counsel to get rid of the mercenaries. He trusted God to bring the victory. God gives him the victory. They slaughtered their enemy, then replaced the true and living God that not only brought the victory over, over Edom, but have been the God that led them and delivered them and had given them the word and adopted them as his children. You gotta remember 
that he's in the line of King David. This guy's in the promised line of David. He's one of the few remaining. Thankfully, he has a son. We'll see it next week. But he's one of the remaining in the line of David. They go all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All that God did with Moses, all that God did for the children of Israel, and they turned their back on him to worship blocks of wood. Wow. Now, let me just say this before we get too huffy about it. Uh, Sometimes we worship stuff that's as dumb as blocks of wood. Amen? Well, I can't really come to church because I got a promotion at work, you know, and I got I got a project coming up, and I'm gonna have to work 70 hours for the next 27 weeks so I can, you know, make a little extra money because I need more money to buy more stuff. Spending money I don't have on things I don't need to impress people I don't know. Amen. It's all gonna burn. In a sense, whatever we put in front of the Lord is an idol. Amen. And well, it's not a block of wood, it might be something you wax in your driveway, amen. It might, it might be that career or, or, you know, your hobby or a relationship. And anything we put in front of the Lord is a false idol. Guys, when we put God first, we'll be better husbands, fathers, parents. Amen? So we're all serving somebody. And again, people will turn away from the true and living God for careers, for relationships, for pleasure, for money. And Amaziah foolishly and tragically turns away from God to bow down to dead wooden idols of the very people he had just defeated. Look at verse 15. Now, how does God feel about that? Does God have a problem with a guy who's walking with him, who's called of God, who's one of his children, turning away from the true and living God and worshiping false idols? Look at verse 15. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah. Now, here's what you don't want. The anger of the Lord aroused against you. Amen? I don't want to get a letter in the mail that says, or something from God, the the anger of the Lord is aroused against Dave. I don't want that. Let's fix this right now, Lord. What do I got to do? Amen? But the anger of the Lord is aroused against him because not only is he worshiping false idols, but he's the king, which means people are going to follow him into worshiping false idols. And the fact that they had just defeated them in battle, and now he's worshiping the idols of the losing army over the true and living God. And it brings the anger of God. Not surprising that the Lord was angry. He had blessed him. He gave him victory. He repaired, He rebelled against God and started worshiping false idols. Notice what the rest of the verse says. He sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people? which could not rescue their own people from your hand. Team obvious. Can I get an amen to that? He actually sends a guy and says, dude, go talk to him. Could you go talk to him? Why would you worship the gods of the people that God just gave you victory over? You just wiped those guys out. Why would you worship their gods? Our God is making it so simple. He's, by the way, isn't the gospel simple? It's a simple truth. It's not hard to understand. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. For you to have a relationship with Him, you must confess that you're a sinner. You must repent and turn and surrender your life to Him. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, and you'll have the promise of heaven. Amen? doesn't take a theology degree to, to share that. Amen? And here it is, the simple truth. And he has to exhort him. He sends this prophet 
to challenge Amaziah's thinking. What are you thinking, bro? You know what? Praise God that God will send people to us when we're getting off track. Amen? You heard me say it all the time. Christians don't stab each other in the back. We stab each other in the front. Amen? You know, when we're off track, someone love us enough to say, no, why are you doing this? It's not okay. God's, God's ways are better than our ways. Amen? God's highest is always best. It's an opportunity. He could have repented right here, right? He's like, what are you doing? He could have said, you're right. I'm an idiot. That was really foolish. Let me get right with God. But let's see what he does. Look what happens. Verse 16. So it was when he talked with him, he said, who made you the king's counselor? You're not the boss of me, right? That's a paraphrase, right? (laughs) Who made you the king's counselor? Cease. He's telling him, shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Have you ever been sharing your faith with somebody and they basically told you to shut up or they didn't want to hear it? Anybody at all? If you, if you haven't heard that yet, you're not sharing your faith enough. Amen? I told you I had a friend that used to cover his ears and go, nah, 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 every time I start talking about the Lord. I'm not kidding. Grown man. I start talking about the Lord. Nah, 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 nah. Don't talk to me. I'm like, dude, that's nuts. King Amaziah did not like the righteous rebuke. The prophet is exhorting him with, and so he tells him to be quiet. You're not my boss. I don't take advice from you. I go pray to those dead blocks of wood over there. Why would I listen to somebody who knows the true and living God? So foolish. Notice what it says with the rest of that verse. It says to him there, did I make you the counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? He's telling him, look, if you keep talking, you're going to die. That's the threat, right? But watch what happens. I like this guy. I want to know who this guy is when we get to heaven. I want to, I want to say, who's the guy from 2 Chronicles 25 who came home and talked to Amaziah? I want to get a Coke with you, bro. Let's hang out. Look what it says here. Then the prophet ceased and said, I love this. He ceased and said, I know that God is determined to destroy you because you have done this, have not heeded my advice. You go, bro. Can I get an amen to that? Shut up or you're going to die. He stops talking. Well, okay, but let me just tell you that God's going to kill you. He's going to destroy you because you've not heeded my counsel. If we don't repent, if you refuse to repent, he's being called to repentance to get right with God, to honor the Lord, put the Lord in the proper place that he belongs in his life. And he's letting him know, if you don't repent, God is going to destroy you. Now, does he desire that none should perish? What's the answer? He wants to see everybody saved, but you know what? He'll never force it on anybody. We have a choice to make, and he's giving him this opportunity, and he's exhorting, to, exhorting him. So he speaks to silence the prophet under the threat of death, and the world hates to have their sin exposed. Amen? They'll tell you when you call them a sinner, you're intolerant. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, you're a obophobe, right? Right? It's phobophobic, phobe. Everybody says you're a phobe, right? I'm afraid of nothing. How about you? We want to see people saved, amen? I pray daily, how can we reach these people? Think of the Jesus Revolution and the hippies, right? You guys saw the movie? How do we reach these? I want to know how we can reach these people. I want to reach them. I want to share Jesus with them. That being said, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be taught. You know, God is not tolerant of sin. Amen. Amen? It's not tolerance. 
I can love you and not agree with you. Tolerance is saying, I want you to say that what I'm doing is just fine. I want you to come celebrate with me. That will never happen. Amen? And you know what? My sins shouldn't be celebrated either. Amen? And I said it last week, but it still drives me crazy. One day for veterans, one day for people who died, one day for dads, one day for moms, two days for Jesus, Christmas and Resurrection Sunday, and a month for perversion. That's the world we live in today. Amen? So the king is rejecting God's offer of mercy. He sent a correcting prophet. He could have sent a bolt of lightning, but he doesn't do that. He gives him an opportunity to repent. And again, he says, if you don't follow my advice, the prophet under the risk of death speaks the truth with boldness. Amaziah, again, pridefully full of himself, rejects God's word and the call to repent. And God's righteous judgment is coming to destroy you because you have rejected the godly counsel to repent. So what do you think is going to happen before the end of this chapter? I just told you. He tells him God's righteous judgment is coming to destroy you because you won't repent. That's a paraphrase of what he's talking about here. Again, people don't want to hear the call to repent. We need to tell them anyway. Amen? Eternity is hanging in the balance, and the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. So pride goes before destruction. So we saw Amaziah, who was doing great early on, and he honored the Lord, and he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then he even sent the mercenaries back because God told him to. And then God gave him victory. And in a few short verses, he's turned away from the true and living God, started worshiping false idols. When a prophet comes to exhort him to get right with God, he wants nothing to do with it. And now he's in a place of open rebellion. Point number five, seeking to do things in your own strength. Now watch what happens. He's got to a place where he ha- he's had a victory and it's going to his head. I just went out and fought the Edomites and we won. Wiped them out because I'm an amazing king. No, because you, ser- you were serving an amazing God. Amen? But watch what happens. Look at verse 17. Now Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat, the Edomites are nothing compared to Israel. Nothing. It's kind of like a guy who's always been the wimpy kid, and he gets in a fight, and he knocks out another wimpy kid, and then he wants to challenge Mike Tyson to a fight. That's kind of what's happening here. He says, you know, hey, man, I got it going on, man. I'm an amazing king. And we got, well, God was on your side. You've abandoned him now. And God's told you he's going to destroy you. So you, then you go and pick on an army much larger than yours. And you think you're going to defeat them without the Lord on your side. Now watch the, watch the king of Israel. Even though he's an idol worshiper, watch what he does. He's going he's to answer him with a parable. Look what it says in verse 18. And Joash, king of Israel, went to Amaziah, king of, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, there was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon saying, give your daughter to my son, his wife, and a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Now what he tells him is, he says in the beginning, there's a thistle that was in Lebanon. A thistle is like a weed. And he said, the thistle says to the cedar tree, right? Which is the greatest and strongest of trees, right? The cedars of Lebanon was the greatest wood as they used it to build the temple, right? And he says, 
This thistle comes to the cedar and says, let our daughter be married to your son, right? Like we're equals, so let's join together in a, a treaty between ourselves. Now, obviously, a weed and a cedar tree, not the same. And it doesn't take long to figure out. He's saying, you guys are the weed and we're the cedar tree. And then he says at the end of that verse, again, that as Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle, a wild beast ran by and ran over the weed before they could get married, right? The little thing that didn't even compare to cedar, he's letting them know, dude, you can't come against us. You guys are like a weed on the side of the road and we're like a cedar tree. Do yourself a favor and stay home. Look what it says in verse 19. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites and your heart is lifted to boast. Stay home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall? You and Judah with you. So the king of Israel actually showing him some grace, like pro. You beat Edom. This is not us. You're fighting a whole nother group of people. And guess what? If you come against us, we're going to destroy you. Do yourself a favor and stay home. He's moved with pride, not by the Lord. And winning the previous battle with the Lord on his side, he's taking the credit for what's taking place. Now he thinks he's the most mighty warrior and he's ready to go out and fight Israel, who is much, much larger than he is. It's so tragic, again, when you see people get filled with themselves the king of Judah asked advice, and now he wants to go after him. It says in Josephus, you guys ever heard of Josephus? Okay, so he's not a believer, but he was a first century writer and a commentator during those days. So it doesn't equate to scripture, but when I look it up, so here's what he says about Amaziah. He says, upon victory, which Amaziah had gotten and the great acts he had done, he was puffed up, began to overlook God who had given him the victory. And then he says, he also says, but in vain of insolence, he wrote to Joash, the king of Israel, and commanded that he and all his people should be obedient to him as they had formerly been obedient to David and Solomon. And he let him know if they would not do what he commanded, that he was ready to fight him. So he gives some more detail, may or not be accurate. Makes sense though. They didn't just write to him and say he wanted to fight. He said, hey, I want to put Israel back together. And that means you all, you all bow to me. I'm the king now like David and like Solomon. Hey, Amaziah, you're not David and you're not Solomon. Amen? But he's putting the word out and the king of Israel writes back to him and lets him know, guys, you're no match for us. So this, he's called him a weed, basically. Dude, you're a weed. A beast could walk by and crush you. Why don't you just stay home and Stay by yourself. He said, you should not, you meddle with trouble. The word meddle there is to cause strife, to stir up, to contend. Again, the word meddle is to, to interest oneself in someone else's concern. There's danger in meddling, and Amaziah has meddled in two ways. He's gotten involved with ungodly things in the Edomite kings, and he's gotten involved in a battle with Israel that he shouldn't have. It says this in Proverbs 27, 26, verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own, is like a man who takes a dog by the ears. Not a good idea. Amen? You see a pit bull walking by, don't go out and grab him by his ears. It's probably not going to end well. So what he's telling him is, why would you meddle? Amaziah, you, you want to battle against a small group of people. He doesn't even say, and God was on your side. And now, you th now you're basically commanding that, you know, we serve you and you want to get into battle with us. Now, 
Look what it says in verse 20. We're getting close to the end here. But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. He'd already told them, God has given you word that he's going to destroy you because you've disobeyed him. He still goes out and picks a fight with an army much larger than him, and it wouldn't have even mattered to size because God was against him now. He said before, I can help you or I can overthrow you. And now he's fighting against God instead of fighting with God on his side. Because of Amaziah's foolish embrace of idolatry, God allowed him to enter into a foolish war with Israel, and foolish idolatry led him into foolish choices. And the wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God in heaven allowed Amaziah to experience the consequences of his choices. You know, God will not force you to obey. And if you, if God convicts you, you know it's wrong, and you run through that stop sign anyway, God will allow it and the consequences will follow. Amen? You can't shake your fist at God, openly disobey God, and God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and sometimes we get away with it the first time. God's grace is not God's permission. Amen? Well, I've been getting away with it. God doesn't care. No, he's suffering long, but he won't suffer always. It's coming. Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and the way of the transgressor is hard and God's going to give him up to his own error and his own passion leading to his own ruin. God uses his hard heart to put him in a place of judgment. Point number six, our simple choices hurt more than just us. Look at verse 21. So Joash, the king of Israel, went out and he and Amaziah, the king of Judah, faced each other at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. Beth Shemesh is about 17 miles west of Jerusalem. So he leaves Jerusalem. They come down and they're going to intersect at Beth Shemesh and this battle is going to take place. Then it says there in verse 22, and Judah was defeated by Israel and every man fled to his own tent. Boy, that was quick. We don't know how long the battle took place, but it didn't take long where that mighty army was running away, right? They're all running to their own tent. Amaziah's going in there in his own pride and his own strength. And, you know, when you're meddling and you're outside of God's will and you're, you know, you want to go fight the big guy when, you're, when he's a cedar and you're a, a weed and God's not for you, you're going to get punched in the nose and you're going to lose. And that's what's happened. His pride in himself, his own strength, his own wisdom, his own army brought his own destruction. Guys, if you're putting your faith in yourself, destruction's coming. Amen? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world will tell you to trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. Right? Trust your gut. Don't do that. Amen? Put yourself first. Esteem yourself. I need more self-esteem. No, here's the problem. We all esteem ourselves too much. Amen? I spoke at a Christian college years back. I didn't realize that everybody in there was majoring in psychology, and they were all about self-esteem. And they said, well, the Bible says to love others as yourselves. So you have to learn to love yourself first so you can love others. That's not what that verse means. That verse means you already love yourself so stinking much, you need to love other people more than you love yourself. Amen? Deny yourself, die to yourself, not esteem yourself. And sadly, he esteems himself and he is going to be destroyed. His old army ran away. 
Amaziah goes from being the prideful king with a great army that just won a battle because God was with him to a king with no army. They're all running for their lives who faced a huge defeat. Let's finish up. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoaz at Beth Shemesh. And he brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. How many of you guys know what a cubit is? It's a distance from the top of your middle finger to your elbow, and it's supposed to be of the king, so it changes. But it's roughly a foot and a half. So if it's 200 cubits, it's 600 feet, right? So a couple of football fields long of the wall in Jerusalem was brought down. And that was not uncommon in war. What they were saying is, you're going to be defenseless going forward. Don't even think about mixing it up with us again because you're defenseless now. Tore it down. When we get to Nehemiah, we're going to see the first thing, Ezra, they want to rebuild that wall because that wall coming down exposed them. Not only does he tear down the wall, notice what else happens. It says in verse 24, and he took all the gold and silver of all the articles found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasury of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. He raids the house of the Lord where God was worshiped, the place where all that time was spent by King Solomon and then later by other kings to rebuild the temple. We just saw it was rebuilt a few times, a few kings back where they went back in and tried to rebuild it, Joash. And they tried to rebuild, the, rebuild it for the Lord. And now because of his disobedience, not only now you got the, the, the walls are down, Jerusalem is defenseless. People are carried away hostage and Amaziah is going to take the brunt of all of it. Notice what it says as we finish up with the last point. The way of the transgressor is hard. Look what it says there. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel. So he actually survives, but it's believed that he was a prisoner. And then once the king died, he was allowed to go home. Let's see how that worked out. Look what it says. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah is first to the last. Indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings, first and second kings, of Judah and Israel? After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent, their, they sent after him to Lachish, and they killed him there. So he was in captivity more than likely, and then once the king died, he was let go. And then there was a conspiracy. There was a group of his own people because of what he had done and the consequences to the people and the fact that he had turned to, to follow the false gods, they were looking to kill him. And when he was hiding out in Lachish, they went and they found him and they put him to death. And then it ends by saying they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Now notice with his fathers, not with the kings. They did not bury him with the other kings. Doesn't this sound a lot like his dad? If you were here last week, he starts well. He's honoring God. He listens to godly counsel. He sends the mercenary homes home. As soon as he wins the battle, he takes the false idols of the Edomites that he had just destroyed and turns from the true and living God and starts worshiping them. And God sends him a prophet to say, what are you doing? Turn back to God. 
And he silences the prophet and threatens to kill him. And then thinking he's something, he goes out into battle on his own. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. And as he goes out, he's warned by Joash, bro, you're a weed. We're a cedar. We will crush you. Just stay home, bro. Don't get puffed up. You beat the Edomites. That's nothing. Don't mess with us. He goes out and fights him anyway. He gets destroyed. It doesn't take long. His army runs for its life. He's put into captivity. Jerusalem's wall comes down. The temple is raided. And then he ends up running for his life, hiding out, gets found, and gets put to death. There's chapter 20. Isn't that a movie? Come on. There's chapter 25. You know what? There's lessons for us to learn as believers. Amen. May we never get caught up in thinking that we are more than we are. May we never fall into the trap of Amaziah to think, I can do it on my own. Without him, we can do nothing. And the original language, that word nothing means nothing. Amen. We can't do anything without him. We need the Lord. May we remain humble broken and desperate and usable for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word, living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you for the lessons learned in scripture, some examples to follow, and examples tonight of Amaziah not to follow. Lord, I pray that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Lord, may we walk in the center of your will May we always remain humble, broken, and desperate and recognize our desperate need for you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...